This week, we're joined by Marine Corps veteran and Southeast U.S. rep with Hobie, Corey Dreyer. Stay tuned while we talk about kayaks, kayak fishing, and everything you might want to know about it. That's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, God, it's a toad, son. It's a fucking toad, dude. Let's go. I wake up to a little bit of drool on my pillow, feel like it's going to be a bad day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the OneCast. Here, uh, with myself, Pete. I'm with Ben and Trey, as always. Uh, we have a guest on the line who we'll introduce here in a minute. But uh, first, as always, you know, we want to throw you that shameless plug for, for OneCast Fishing and our new snagless line of jigs, uh, as well as the long neck hooks, which if you haven't tried them yet, uh, they, uh, they've continue to prove their their your usefulness and uh you know it's not something we we'd originally designed for release but it's really worked out uh, for the anglers and they are a, a bed fishing ultimate rig i mean it's it's hard to, hard to be I, I put it to work this week but yeah make sure you go to onecastfishing.com join the snaggers revolution use the code the one cast and we've already had several people use that code and we definitely appreciate it um, and so uh, that saves you 10%. So use the code OneCast uh, on there and check out and join the Snagless Revolution. Yeah, mm. speaking of OneCast Fishing and the OneCast crew here, if you're going to be in Knoxville at the Bassmaster Classic here in uh, what are we, about two, two and a half weeks now, yep. yeah, if you're going to be there, make sure you stop by and say, hey, uh, booth 4013. If you're a fan of the show, stop by, say hi. If you're a fan of the product, stop by and say hi. If you haven't seen the product, come see it. We'll have some classic specials. Uh, you know, get you a little bit of a, a better deal or, you know, try them out and see if you like them. And then you can stock up using that code, the one cast. So uh, without dragging it too far, uh, we could get into bad tournaments this weekend for Trey and I and all kinds of good stuff. But we have Corey Dreyer here with us this week, uh, Southeast representative for Hobie. Uh, I'm not sure. Is it just the kayaks or are you doing the eyebrow and all of Hobie? So I do eyewear and uh, kayaks. Okay, cool. So, yeah. So this is uh, Corey Dreyer. Corey, you want to tell a little bit about yourself? Uh, kind of how you got started in fishing, and then I know you were a boat angler for a long time, and then got into the kayak. So, kind of how you transitioned, or what got you into that? Absolutely. So, uh, name's Corey Dreyer. Uh, grew up in uh, Tampa Bay area of Florida, and uh, down there, you know, did a ton of inshore fishing as well as bass fishing. Growing up, you know, had a boat with the with the dad and family, and uh, you know, honestly, I started fishing when I was was in a crib uh flats fishing for trout and redfish and stuff like that so uh later on in life uh you know joined the marine corps was down at camp lejeune did four years and uh went to school for a couple years moved back with my now wife um sabrina she's from north carolina and we moved back to uh the safety harbor clearwater area of florida and uh in 2006 i got a uh my first kayak you know that's when it really started to take off down there for inshore and uh so i started fishing reds and trout snook and things like that getting in the backwaters and it just really opened up my world was ease of use you know throwing in the bed of a truck on top of a car whatever can go anywhere um versus hooking up the boat and and things like that and also that was kind of my uh therapy so to speak um you know getting on the water and uh really helped me out, you know, after I came back from Iraq and other places and, and things. So, um, but yeah, so that's how I started kayak fishing, uh, moved back to North Carolina. Uh, and prior to moving back here, uh, I had sold my kayak and 
when I got here, I, it was like a year and a half and I didn't have a kayak, didn't have a boat. My father-in-law had a boat. We did some fishing around locally. And, uh, so I ended up buying a kayak and started competing, um, on the tournament trail in 2012 and really haven't slowed down since. So I started with kayak bass fishing, the KBF trail, uh, now fish the Hobie and some of the Bassmaster events. So, um, also started one of the largest clubs, uh, in North Carolina for kayak fishing called, uh, Carolina kayak anglers. And, uh, now I'm just an advisor there. I'm too busy with family and work and stuff like that. And, you know, it's a, it's a time suck. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's, uh, takes a lot. What, when, but, were you, uh, when were you in the Marine Corps? I was in the Marine Corps from 2000 to 2004. And were you at Lejeune the whole time? I was. So yeah. I, uh, we, well, my dad was in the Marine Corps at the time, so I was real little, but we moved from Lejeune in 01. So we, we were actually there probably the same time, just uh, <laughs> d- different capacities. Uh, did you ever right. fish? Did you ever fish New River? I did a little bit, yeah. yeah. But I, honestly, I wasn't at Lejeune a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. Limits and stuff. Like after, as you know, after September 11th, like yeah. operational tempo, I was a grunt. So I was in the infantry and we were gone constant. Between going to Japan, you know, to Okinawa and being deployed from there. And as soon as I got back, switched units, went to Iraq, Kosovo a few times, and uh, Africa, you know, kind of went everywhere. But it's a good time. <laughs> so I didn't get a whole lot of fishing in. <laughs> I think you, I think you hear that a lot out of the veteran community. Um, you know, people ask like, why do you, how did you get into fishing or why do you fish or why do you enjoy the outdoors? And and the reality is, is it's extremely therapeutic and that's not just for veterans. It's for people across the board. But I think a lot of times that's a missing story. Uh, we, we talk about like, you know, we competitive edge and in technology and we love to just fish or whatever. But the reality is, is even if I'm dead last in the tournament, I was out on the water. It was therapeutic for me. So appreciate right. you saying that. Appreciate your service, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Appreciate it. yeah. Obviously both Trey and, uh, Trey still active duty with the army and Ben, Ben's retired, but, um, so we have a, a deep respect for the military and yeah, I'm with Trey. I know. You know, my brother in Wyoming does uh, does some some veteran hunts every year and, and helps you know get guys in the outdoors. And I, like Trey says, you know Trey with Hero Harvest here locally, um, which if you're around April first, I don't know if you know, but they have a tournament on Sharon Harris. Uh, if you register, they put you with a vet and you go out and it's just kind of a fun deal. So we can talk about that a little bit offline if you yeah. want, if it's if you're going to be around. But um, Trey helps organize that to to get vets on the water, and I think it really is a, an untapped to its full potential uh, mm-hmm. to help veterans. You know, I know there's some some other guides and things that are vets that are starting to to do their own stuff and take people out and they're starting to realize how important it is, but I don't I don't know that it's tapped as, as well as it should be. So Yeah. It's a continuous effort for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you you started with the KBF. Obviously, uh, you've had success if you look at the uh, the wall behind you. <laughs> nice uh, backdrop in, ca- yeah, in kayak fishing. I know <laughs> I know the elk hunt was great this this past uh, this past fall. I got to see you right before you went out there and uh, saw the pictures. Uh, you know, kind of got to to take your son out of school for a while, and he got to experience that and write about everything. So, uh, you know, the outdoors yeah, is a big part of your life. And, and for oh, yeah. those who are, are just listening, aren't watching the video version, we're we're looking at Corey in his office there on screen. He's got a a, a third place a KB, a KBF tour up there, or second place. I can't see the other ones. There's I see champion. champion up top. <laughs> <laughs> got a lot of hardware hanging up there on the uh, on the wall, which is outstanding. We need to do an MTV crib series on Corey's house. Let's do that. <laughs> we we get Jody on too and do his. Uh, all oh, you yeah, guys, my best friends, Jody. Yeah, you guys want to go? He's he's the goat, man. Jody's. Uh, uh, 
his he's he's on another level. He he's invited uh, Chelsea and I up to stay and fish with him, and we we got to make that happen because he's yeah. he's got a really cool story up there. But this isn't about him. We're we're here to talk about you. So <laughs> obviously, outdoors is a big part of your life and has been. You know, you you started out fishing, Marine Corps, continued to fish, kayak ang- angling. Your first job in the industry wasn't with Hobie, but how did you kind of get started working in the fishing industry? Uh, or in the outdoor space. I'm not exactly sure if, if the company I first met you when you were with is who you started with or not, but how did you kind of get get your foot in the door or start into the industry? Was it from your success fishing or? No, actually, um, I, I worked for Energizer uh, Battery Company, and uh, they did massive layoffs, and, uh, you know, it was from the bottom to the top, you know, and I missed the first two rounds and then got axed as the last person on the, the third round, mm-hmm. so... Um, you know, I was looking for a job and I had a relationship with one of the kayak shops in Greensboro called get outdoors mm-hmm. and, uh, they, uh, will Seely reached out to me and, you know, offered me a position up there to, you know, being a kayak angler, they didn't have anybody. They're more whitewater and wreck guys. So, and that's when kayak fishing really was starting to take off. So I worked with those guys for about five years as a, uh, assistant manager, um, buyer, you know, I kind of did everything there. Um, and met a lot of the reps in the industry and, uh, you know, on the, the paddle sports side of things. So I ended up landing a job with um, Confluence Outdoor, which is Wilderness Systems, Perception, uh, Boardworks, and a couple other brands. And they're based out of Greenville, South Carolina. So I was a rep with them for five years and uh, recently just uh, started with Hobie Kayaks. And uh, that was kind of a goal of mine all along. Um, they've had some restructuring in the organization and, uh, they used to have, uh, like independent reps and they brought everybody in house and that opened up an opportunity for me to, um, get a position with them. So I left Confluence and started three weeks ago with Hobie. Oh, wow. Um, And, uh, so I've been with Hobie in Hobie kayaks for a long time. I've owned four, um, over the years and, you know, it was honestly, it's the best fishing kayak out there, the pro angler, um, in my opinion. And, uh, it was hard for me to work for another company and not want to fish out of that boat or, you know, being able to, um, not taking in, you know, discrediting wilderness systems. Um, they make great boats as well, but you know, there's just something about the pro angler with their mirage drive and, um, you know, the stability of the boat and just the layout, it's more like a mini bass boat and being mm-hmm. a boat angler as well. I didn't really tap into that at all. When I was talking about my background, I boat fish too. Mm-hmm. Um, I fished one year in the um, Toyota series in the central division and uh, you know, that didn't go as well as I thought it was going to, but you know, that's part of fishing. Um, but I fish locally, a lot of the big bass things um, with Brad Staley and some of the local little wildcat deals around. So um, yeah, but uh, yeah, so that's kind of my background on how I got into the industry with, with fishing paddle sports. So, so after you uh, after you got out of the Marine Corps, you said you went to school for a couple of years. Did you did you do anything uh, civilian education wise to get yourself more marketable within the outdoor space, or or anything like that, or was it just relationships or the combination of both? It was a combination of both. So I went to school to for a business degree, mm-hmm. um, like business management, and uh, ended up going to um, Pitt Community College down by ECU. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife was a, at ECU at the time, and then uh, went to school at St. Pete College back home in Florida. So, okay, 
yeah, I think that's important for a lot of the listeners and stuff. Like you don't, you don't necessarily have to be, uh, you know, go to school for fishing. Like the, the college, the collegiate level anglers, like they have a degree. It's not, I don't know if it's a fishing degree. I don't think that's a real no, thing, no. right? But it's a, it's a degree that like makes you marketable within the, the outdoor space. And uh, it's, it's important for you to understand, like, there's so many opportunities to be in the outdoor space and it's not necessarily just pro fishing. Right? Yeah, as so, we talk, as we talk yeah. to more folks that work in, in the outdoor industry and fishing and hunting and, and different, different types, you'll see like, if you're a young, a young person listener, even, even somebody that's already in a career and, and wants to transition, you know, sales, business, those, those types of educations that that's what, and, and Corey could tell you in, in the industry to get in with these companies, those are the kind of positions they have. They have, folks out there beating pavement selling their product mm-hmm. uh, they have marketing folks things like that so just outside of angling which you know obviously can help we had mike corbishly on a few episodes ago you know he made those relationships with royal rants fishing through college uh got a marketing degree and led to a job in the industry Corey through the marine corps ha- has a business background education built relationships was able to propel that to now the job that he's always wanted with hobie kayak so there's there's more than just being an angler. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know when I was a kid, I thought the only way you were going to the Bassmaster Classic and all that stuff was by doing, by fishing and being you know one of those top hundred guys in the in the world to fish at that level. And knowing what I know now, I probably would have done some things a little bit differently yeah. in my younger years. But um, you know, I'm fortunate to be be in the position I am with yeah. with every with the companies that I do have a relationship with. With one cast, we've started this and meeting folks like Corey and that have been have been huge. But um. I mean, it's all relationships and marketing, um, you know, and business, just having that business background because fishing is only a part of it. I mean, you hear that from the elite pros and, you know, everybody mm-hmm. out there. Um, there's a whole lot more to it than just catching bass. So, I, I, I think I, you bring up a good point. There's a whole lot to it more than just catching bass. You actually don't have to be that great. Right. Let's think about it. A lot of guys will put themselves against the pro anglers. And when they come into town, they'll be like, oh, I can beat that guy. You know, well, of course you can, because you spent 40 years fishing Falls Lake. Like, no (laughs) kidding. Right. But that guy that you say you can beat is most likely better than you at breaking down a body of water. Most likely better than you at marketing and sales for the company that is supporting him or her through the industry. And most likely has a resume that speaks volumes to a company that says, I can't just put, I catch fish on a resume. Yeah. It doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Right? Like, of course you need to produce some results, but when you walk across the stage, they're working, they're looking at like, how is this person is, are they presentable? Are they communicating our narrative and our message? Are they marketing our product effectively? Yeah, sure. Somebody bombs a tournament, no big deal. Right? So it's not just about catching fish, is it? Not at all. Can you? So there's there's a whole lot more to it. Can yeah. you talk a little bit, Corey, about um, before we get into like kayak selection stuff, like your like self marketing? Because you have to market yourself, right? Like Trey was alluding to, you have to make yourself valuable to the companies that you work with or you want to work with. So for you, outside of just tournament success, how have you marketed yourself? Whether it be through social media or things like that, what what is it that you've done to kind of draw the eye of the companies that you want to work with? Social media is a huge part of it. I don't have the biggest social media following. You know, I have a couple thousand on Instagram. Um, but it's 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 being a good representative of the sport as well as marketing on social media. I mean, that's that's where it's at. Helping out at boat shows, doing events, seminars, things in person. Um, you know, that's what I've personally done to 
help myself grow and get sponsors like cash in Z man, um, you know, catch torpedo all there. I, I have a, a list of people that I work with, but that's how I've made myself more marketable. Just being one is being a good represent representative of the sport because there's a lot of people out there that don't represent themselves well mm-hmm. um, outside of, you know, tournaments and things like that. It's, it kind of goes, it's an everyday thing. So yeah. people watch, I've, I've realized that over the years is people watch and they watch very closely, especially if you've ever had any success. Um, they kind of, they, they go through everything with a fine tooth comb mm-hmm. and, you know, there's, there's haters out there, but you gotta, <laughs> it's like they're digging through Corey's background during the political campaign. Like, Hey, what skeletons does he have well, in his closet? That's right. yeah. yeah. And you realize like going to these shows and you meet somebody for the first time, that's with a company that you may use their stuff a lot. You know, you might be on their Facebook groups. Uh, those folks watch what goes on in those communities. And if you're if you're helpful and you talk to people, and we, we talk about this in our pro staff deal episode, like they look at that stuff. And I have had companies that I've I've helped people in their forums and stuff. And, you know, they meet me and they're like, oh, you you know, you're in the group. I remember you so-and-so had a question. You gave me really good advice about this. And it's they notice that kind of stuff. So if you're in there being one of these internet tough guys mm-hmm. telling people, oh, if you don't know how to use it, maybe you should should do something else and blah, blah, blah. Those companies noticed that too. So that was kind of what I what I wanted to get with to Corey on that was, uh, you know, folks look. I'm sure Hobie watches their socials. I know, you know, a lot of the big companies do. So, uh, being a good a good person, basically, yeah. like we've talked about, a steward of the profession. I, if if you wouldn't mind, a question from your military service, and and this goes out to the either the people that are actively serving or maybe some of the veteran community. Did serving in the Marine Corps and, 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 you know, gaining some of those values that the Corps had in ethics and, and morals, did, did any of that translate over into how you um, are a steward of the, of the profession of fishing now? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they, when I was in, you know, Marine Corps military in general, um, wants you to be professional at all times. Um, you know, so it's, it's one of those things that easily translated over to, the fishing industry for me mm-hmm. um you know being a good person you know especially in the public public eye yeah um <laughs> behind it yeah. as well but um in the public eye yeah just being being a good person but yeah your morals having a good solid moral um compass you know, compass yeah 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 and, and the people you surround yourself with i mean they you take that into account like like core was talking about his good friend jody uh, I know of at least once, and I believe it's happened more than once, where he's DQ'd himself because of something. I know there was one where he had forgot to put his PFD in. I think it was last year. Forgot to put yep. his PFD on, which is a rule. Went out there, was fishing. Realized he didn't put it on. Immediately called the, the tournament director and be like, hey, I'm out. I, I, he disqualified himself because he yeah. violated that rule. So He was by himself, yeah. I mean, yeah. it just kind of goes back to having, you know, solid morals. And, uh, you know, and that's what makes the sport so great, of fishing yeah. and uh you know, that was the biggest, one of the biggest tournaments he's ever fished and uh, had to DQ himself from a two day event that big money and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, and I know they're all year grinding to get to that point and uh, had to DQ himself, unfortunately. So yeah. but we see that a lot. I but, mean, it happens. But mad respect. You mad do. respect. You mad do. respect. I think you saw and, and going, I mean, I, I feel like the, the boat fishing community. <laughs> I don't know how everybody would respond. I'd like to say everybody's a good f- person, but it seems like they're they're very different communities. The the kayak fishing community, you seem like you get that across the board. I look at what happened with Drew Gregory last year. 
um, mm -hmm. and the, you know, winning the, the angler of the year. And there was a question about some of the waters that he fished and somebody had challenged it and he didn't come out and say, Oh, that guy's wrong. I did everything right. He's like, Hey, you have every right. Gave all the, you know, the GoPro footage, everything to prove right. that he yeah. had to show that he was fishing where it was legal and everything was up and up. And they went through the review process and found that it was all truthful, but just the way he handled that with grace. And I know, Knowing Corey personally, if you know if he runs into a situation like that, you're going to see the, those folks handle it with grace. So just remember that everybody's watching uh, as you come up through whatever it is you're doing, whether it's fishing or, or business or life, being a good person and being mm -hmm. having good solid morals. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that just happened uh, this weekend um, down there at Gunnersville with the Bassmaster Kayak Series. Christine Fisher, you guys may know who that mm -hmm. is. I know oh, yeah. who that is. Um, Christine uh, unfortunately had to DQ herself after day one. Um, she got the time wrong to, you know, lines out. And so she ended up having to call Steve Owens and DQing herself from the weekend. So she fished for 30 minutes longer than what she was supposed to. And, you know, it just goes back to being a good person and, you know, doing the right thing. So it's unfortunate, but it happens. You know, yeah. we all make mistakes and, uh, just own up to it and roll on to the next one. Amen. I don't think I could say that any when, better. When you're in the kayak world, you have a lot of autonomy. I mean, you're alone, unafraid out there. You know, like the eyes aren't nearly as much on you as they are like a lot of these boaters. And, you know, that's where bringing a lot of humility to the sport and being able to take accountability for your stuff. To me, that paints a very positive message for the outdoor industry versus people that go on the defense you know everyone's going to question a winner especially somebody's on a hot streak right they're going to be like what is that person doing it's not mathematically possible hell i even do it too yeah it's not mathematically possible for you to win everything you must be cheating <laughs> but then it's on the other person to say hey listen like, i'll take a poly you can follow me around all day the reality is is i catch mo fish yeah you, know what I mean? right. you ride that you ride that momentum man i mean yeah. these guys get on the hot streak i i've been there and uh it's a thing you know, momentum is just, a thing yep you roll with it. It's, it's all, it's all confidence. You know, it's just having, you know, that positive mental attitude mm. and uh, going into the next one, like I'm going to do well, you know, just having a, but you know, it happens, you drop off and you know, you stop catching them for a few tournaments. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. One of the questions we get all the time and Ben sort of just, you know, brought it up. He was at talking about his experience in a kayak is, you know, I want to get into kayak fishing. Right. And I don't have any idea, anything about kayaks, about the differences you know, why, why at a Hobie at four grand is better than a $50 Sun Dolphin at, you know, at Walmart when they're both made out of plastic and float. So maybe kind of go through, I know you did, you did sales across different companies, yeah. you know, obviously with Hobie now, what, it, what is it that you want to look for? You know, obviously with, everybody has a different budget, but what is it to look for when, when trying to select a kayak for fishing? Corey, before you answer that, I got a question first and that right. is, so why should I get into kayak fishing because you you mentioned you were a boater and you, yep. you boat fishing but you obviously prefer you love the kayak fishing you're very good at it why should i pick up kayak fishing instead of hopping on my boat all the time so ease of use so you can throw it in the bed of your truck top of your car whatever vehicle you have right you can trailer i trailer my boats because of how much they weigh and just i haven't fully rigged out like a boat but it's more intimate with uh you know being out on the water more intimate with a fish, I would say, you know, it's kind of up close and personal. Um, you know, it's just more fun. You hook a big bass, any kind of fish, it's going to drag you around. Um, and the other big thing for me is actually kayak fishing makes you a better angler, hmm. a better boat angler. 
And the reason being is because you don't have the ability to crank up the big motor and go run miles down the lake. Okay. To each spot and just go to those high percentage areas. You end up doing more homework online, you know, if you Google earth Navionics, you know, studying charts, um, and you break down water more, right? So you choose your areas and you break that there. We all know there's fish in a lot of the water. Okay. We know there's some water that's just dead, but there's fish there to be caught. It's just finding them and finding out what they're going to bite. Um, but you can break down, like I, I'm guilty now of, of launching the power boat and going out and just dropping the trolling motor and just uh, stick in a smaller area hmm. just because, and I end up catching fish and doing pretty well. You don't have to run around. I mean, um, sure it's fun, but it does make you a better angler. I, I, that makes a lot of sense. I th- it probably forces you to slow down. You know, it does. one thing I have noticed watching a lot of the, the pro anglers, even with the boater on the boating side is how slow they fish sometimes with their bait in the water. Like they're flipping and pitching to cover or something, right? But how long they actually let it sit there and soak, like even though, though they can run around the lake, like I think probably most people fish way too fast in yeah. that regard. And I'm certainly guilty of that. Kayak fishing, you have to slow down because like there's only so much cover you could probably fish in the area that you can reasonably get to um, during yeah, your I mean, fishing day. That, that kind of boils down to what kayak you have as well. So you have paddling kayaks, you have pedal, just pedal kayaks, pedal drives, and then you have electric motors on kayaks. So anywhere from bow mount with spot lock to torpedo, that's what I run on mine. So it's a stern mounted motor. Um, it's a, you know, over a hundred pounds of thrust equal to a three horsepower motor. Hmm. So I'm a power fisherman, even with plastics. Like I like to flip in places and constantly move. So I can cover a lot of water, but it's still not as much as what you could cover in a, in a power boat. Um, but it does force you to slow down in certain areas and uh, really pick structure apart. You know, you're not going to come in cast two or three times and then jump on the big motor and run to the next area. So it really just makes you a better angler, but it's more kayak fishing. You know, you can get into those areas that you can't with boats. Um, there is some boats that you can get extremely shallow, but you know, you got low bridges, you've got culverts you can go through and get into those waters that are untouched, rivers, creeks. You know, you can go around laydowns in a river. It's it's just totally different, man. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, going back to Pete's original question, then you talk about paddle driven and pedal driven and and now electric motor driven. Go back to uh, Pete's original question, if you wouldn't mind, and, and talk about that, that selection process and, and what that looks like for somebody getting into it. Absolutely. So, you know, it's all going to boil down to budget, right? So everybody has a different budget on what you want to you get started with. Um, you know, we're, we're talking fishing here. So you can start out in any kayak and be, be okay, right? But I always tell everybody to buy the best kayak that your wallet's going to allow you to. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's features, um, durability, comfort, um, things of those natures, the layout of the boat. You can go really basic or you can go really advanced. Um, so it really just boils down to what your budget is, um, how you're going to haul it. That's a lot a lot of things that people overlook sometimes because not everybody drives a, uh, a truck or has the ability to get a trailer. You know, they may drive a car or an SUV um, and need to rooftop it. So, you know, that kind of eliminates some kayaks right out of the gate, um, the bigger, heavier kayaks. So you're going to look for something, you know, in that 50 to 65, 70-pound range that's more – uh, maneuverable, um, and then storage at home, you know, 
not everybody has a garage or a place that, you know, you may live in an apartment and you don't have a place that you can put a 14 foot kayak. So you're stuck with a 10, 12 footer. Mm. So there's a lot of variables there, but you know, the best advice I can give to somebody that's looking to get into kayak fishing or a kayak in general is try before you buy. There's so many different kayaks out on the market. Um, go to a, a specialty shop, you know, outside of the big box stores because they actually offer demos on demand they do demo weekends, you know, they may do a really big demo with all the reps, you know, once or twice a year. It just depends. Um, but get your butt in a boat and try different models because everybody's different, different sizes. You know, you may be big, you may be tall, short, whatever. Um, that boat is going to perform differently for every everybody. So the boat that's perfect for me or you would be totally different for Ben or Trey. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it it just depends. Um, so get on the water and actually try something before you, you spend your hard earned money on it, honestly. So, so break it down for us. What is the yep. perfect boat for you? And kind of go into some of the factors why you chose that. So, so for, for those of us looking to get a kayak, we kind of have a, a kind of a, a what yeah. am I looking for? Not baseline. a bullet point, a baseline. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Trey. A baseline so, to judge against. So for myself, I, I want a pedal drive and a boat that has the ability to mount a, uh, a motor on. Um, so I am currently using the Pro Angler 14, um, the 180, so it has a reverse drive. Um, I just picked up a 360, but I haven't had it on the water yet. Um, and the 360 is a, you can move your boat left to right, the drive turns and there's a, it's pretty technical. Um, Wait a minute, I you, boat you, that, the boat would, the kayak would just go left? Yeah. Yeah. And then just go yeah, right, so Chelsea, kind of yeah. like spider crawl. Pivots. Yeah, so the bottom of the drive pivots. So on Hobie, it's a fin-driven system, right? So you have a handle on the, the left side of your kayak, and as you twist that, it, it turns. It's belt-driven in a gear. turns the bottom of your drive, right? So as you pedal, you're now pro being propel propelled left or right, hmm. forward or back. It's really neat. That's, that's, so pretty, that's pretty cool. It's, it's There's really a couple cool. videos. If you get on YouTube yeah. and, and check out um look up the pro angler uh they make it in the 12 and the 14 but the 360 like you can maneuver around docks and you can maneuver around trees and you know structure and stuff like that so it came out a couple years ago um but it, it it's sweet yeah the but very the limited me, the very limited kayak experience i have not to cut you off Corey, is yeah, no i went went uh inshore with chelsea who yeah. has a pro angler 14 and i got a loaner of another brand uh, which just had forward and then hope for the best if you got to go backward and we were fishing around some docks, like flounder fishing and stuff. And she would like slide in there, crank that drive, and then turn her kayak and just set wherever she wanted for the cast. And then as tide was coming in or out, she could turn that drive to face it. And she could essentially spot lock by just moving a foot. And she could just sit right where she wanted to be and fish this dock. It was incredible. How can we put that in my boat? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but sorry, so you, you're looking to pedal drive uh, back to what yeah, you're talking so yeah, so pedal drive, uh, I definitely want a pedal drive. Um, the ability um, to have a, a motor. Mm -hmm. um, I prefer a stern-mounted motor over a bow mount. Um, I like to have the bow of my boat sitting down in a kayak, even standing up in it. You're lower to the water, so that stuff is kind of in your face. Um, they do make some bow mount trolling motors that have a little bit shorter shaft on it now so that it doesn't stick up as high. Um, but I prefer that, that motor on the back, speed. You know, I'm getting, yep. you know, I mean, and it's no different than buying anything, mm -hmm. right? It's no That's different right. than buying a boat, right? You can either fit a 14 foot John boat in your garage or you can fit a 21 foot glass boat in your garage, right? So budget 
aside, I'm almost wondering, besides budget, why would anyone want to go with a with a paddle style kayak? You know, what are the advantages of, of having a paddle style versus a pedal style or, and stuff like that? Shallow, so shallow water, um, you know, some of the drives are not going to work. Your prop driven drives, pedal drives, um, your motors are not going to work in extremely shallow water, right? Okay. Uh, OB with the fins, you can actually flutter them. So the fins actually sit like kind of up under the boat and you can barely, barely pedal. And it's going to give you enough propulsion to get shallow. But there again, you run into issues. If you have obstacles, you can't straighten out the fins to pull it out of the drive. So you can get stuck. Okay. But having a paddling kayak, you can get in shallower water. Um, so, so you know. if you're going Creek fishing, like really shallow, then, 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 then paddle kayak, if that's your primary, there you go. Uh, weight you enjoy fishing, then that's, yeah, it, it sounds like that's probably good. Water you're going to. You know, I fish tournaments that are on rivers and stuff like that, and we prefer paddling over pedaling or you know motors. So, I'm folks, like so for the folks listening, your terrain is going to dictate the the model of kayak that you get, right? So, those those guys and gals fishing like low creeks with rock on the bottom, like you ain't going to have no uh, fin on the bottom or it'll break off, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, he brought up a really good point with the Susquehanna. I know when they do the tournaments up there, most most of the folks, you know, are, are going to a paddle and, and more kind of like a drift fishing uh, type deal. So if that, you know, locally we look at some of the rivers that you see folks fix, fish like the Haw and stuff. Mm-hmm. They get their kayaks on there, a lot of low rocky areas than, than the paddle. And, and you said something that kind of caught my eye. You know, you want a paddle kayak. I'm sorry, a pedal kayak with the ability to mount a motor. Is there, obviously you can with the PA-14 since that's what you chose with Hobie, but what, what is it that, will they will they be labeled? To the boat so it's easy, four-bolt pattern, bolted up and you're ready to go. Um, you know, and then you've got, you have to hook up foot braces if you want foot-controlled steering, you know, versus hand-controlled. I mean, there's a lot to it. You can get super technical or you can go, you know, bare bones, basic with a motor on it so okay so you can do foot control steering with a with a motor that's kind of cool so that's what i run on my boat um so you have foot slide brackets that are up in front of you right with foot braces on them and so they have cables that run back to a steering triangle that's on that torquedo so it's essentially hands-free outside of working my throttle for the motor i'm able to turn that motor on you know say 20 watts of power right which is you know half a mile an hour and uh work down a shoreline and i can sit there and i can adjust my boat with my foot braces so i'm constantly casting i'm not having to reach down and you know grab my my rudder handle or handle to to steer my my motor. yeah i was gonna ask i was gonna say one of these days i'm probably gonna have a little just a little joystick yeah but yeah. but then but but then i guess the issue is the casting like but could you imagine well, a little, little joystick and then a button for spot lock or <laughs> that's, that'd be fun I mean, that'd be fun that'd be fun to <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that goes back to having your, your bow mount trolling motors. I mean, it's the same motors. Motor Guide makes uh, the XI3 kayak uh, motor. And uh, so you have a key fob hanging around your neck. So I I automatically feel like I'm at a disadvantage because I'm having to stop reeling and have that bait in the water because I'm having to adjust my motor, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. Or put it on spot lock or, you know, choose a path that I want it to go down. Like, you're constantly messing with that. So you're not reeling, you're not fishing. And I feel like... I like to capitalize on my having my my line in the water, you know, yeah. more often than not. So that's another reason I choose a, a stern mounted motor. But but back to getting to like choosing a kayak is look at the layout of the kayak, comfort and stability. Um, you know, 
every boat is different with the seats. Most of them are lawn, lawn chair style seats now mm -hmm. um, that are super comfortable. They're dry. You get air under your butt, you know, if you do sit the whole day. Um, so you're not sitting in water, um, you know, and you're getting that breathability, comfort. Um, and then the layout of the boat, you know, that's huge for kayak anglers. You want a place because you're, you're confined to a smaller place and space than in a power boat, right? So you want a place that you can put all of your gear. You need a good place for your graft if you're going to run a fish finder. Um, you need places to put your rods if you're not going to use just a crate behind you. Um, you know, where you're going to keep all your extra tackle, tackle bags, um, you know, batteries. Like there's a, you get down to like, I mean, I run, right now I'm running a 10-inch Garmin with live scope and I'm running two lithium batteries, one for the unit and one for the live scope. I mean, you've got your batteries for your motor, um, I've got my buddy Casey Reed. He runs live <laughs> Mingbird. He's got he has he has three sixty on one of the other units. I mean, it's the same thing as having it on a on a bass boat. I mean, it's it's common now to see the more advanced anglers and tournament guys to have fifteen, twenty thousand dollars wrapped up in a kayak. Yeah, actually we actually have Casey coming on next weekend um to talk about angling and, and one of the, the things I want to talk about is his setup because he has Dude, he has, he has it all on there, man. <laughs> was it a Lightcast that had that? What was it, twenty thousand dollar kayak or fifteen thousand? What was it? Was it? It was. Oh, it was that, that was dugout. The yeah. dugout had that for Hobie. Um, so that's you know that's your your pro angler fourteen three sixty with a torpedo motor, um, live scope, two graphs. You know you got your lithium batteries. Like it adds up pretty quick. We all know this. Yeah, from yeah. Oh, yeah. Boats, you know. Um, but it's pretty common now for these shops that are are selling Hobie or the higher end brands to do custom rigging and hit that 15 to $20,000 mark. Um, and uh, it's just, it's becoming more advanced. So for the, for the average person out there that's looking to get a kayak like that for yep. boats, obviously they offer financing. Do they offer financing on, on major kayaks like that? They do. Yeah. Some companies um, actually Hobie is actually looking into a program now. Um, it hasn't been released to the public yet, but we're looking at a, um, a program to finance through uh, a financial company through Hobie. Mm -hmm. So you can come in because it is a big purchase. Um, but some shops already, you know, they offer uh, financing through like Synchrony or yeah. a firm and, and places like that. Um, because these aren't purchases of when you get into the more hardcore fishing, it's not just going to buy a $600, $700 kayak. Right. You're yeah. into the thousands of dollars. And, um, we actually tried that with a company I worked at before and we were more wreck. We had fishing boats, but we were more wreck uh, orientated. And I feel like it wasn't, it didn't work out well for us as a company with that financing because people are not financing a five to $1,000 kayak in most senses. Yeah. Like yeah. Most instances. Um, so when you get up into those three to five, you know, 10, 15, $20,000 kayak purchases, yeah, people are going to have to start financing. Are, sure. are they also insuring these yes. significantly expensive kayaks? Yeah. Yeah. Believe it or not, a lot of people don't know this, and this is a really good rule of thumb for anybody that's listening to this podcast that wants to get into kayak fishing or fishing in general. Talk to your, your insurance company. So I have insurance through a, a friend of mine um, locally here, and uh, I have all of my kayaks and fishing gear insured. So if it did get destroyed got stolen, whatever, they're going to replace it with a deductible. A lot of people don't know that, and they don't think about it um, because it is a less expensive 
item, mm-hmm. I'd say, compared to like a powerboat. But yeah. I mean, that's a great point. I mean, we all have insurance on our powerboats, but I would imagine the risk is much higher of getting swamped or something happened on the water where you're losing a lot of maybe your gear and stuff, uh, your electronics, et cetera, that, that you might come into play. So for those listening and kayak fishing, looking to get insurance, that's, that's a great point. I'll also say this. I, I got my truck broken into up at Lake Norman. They busted my window out and stole all my fishing tackle. Uh, this was back in, I think 2017 or something. Oh. And, um, they didn't touch my boat. But my homeowner's insurance covered all my fish and tackle, mm-hmm. right? So it's just important for for those, like, it, you're investing a significant amount of money in mostly mostly expendable items, right? But and some of them being durable, like $20,000 kayaks. You need to pay attention to that insurance and make sure that you have all your bells and whistles uh, so that when something happens, which most likely it does, you're covered and you're not out, you know, 15, 20 grand. Yeah, I mean, that's the... A lot of people don't know that you can even insure a kayak. You can you know, insure a, a dog. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, so you can <laughs> well, insure yeah. a kayak. You, you can insure your leg. You too. can insure your hair. Yeah, I don't want none, but the pro can. athletes do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that's important information. Appreciate you breaking that down. Um, there was something I wanted to ask about. Uh, you you talked about being a a a better angler because of kayak fishing. And and I don't want to get too much off the topic of the kayaks themselves, but are there limitations to certain techniques that you, that you can't do? Can you not do certain things in a kayak that you can do in a boat? Not really. <laughs> the the one technique, the uh, one, the one technique I, well, I guess, cause you can stand up in the kayaks, right? So that, there you go. Yeah, that I kind mean, of eliminates it. It's all dependent on the kayak there again and, and okay. choosing the right kayak. So that kind of goes back to a person that wants to get in the kayak angling. Like if you're coming from a boat and want to get into a kayak, think about the techniques that you want to use, like That's flipping right. and pitching and stuff like that. Like you want to be able to stand up. Some of these boats you can stand up on the seat or on the bow. Like Christine Fisher's kind of famous now. I mean, you know, she stands on the front of her pro angler. They're extremely stable. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's really no technique that I can think of offhand that I can't do that I can do in my power boat. The big thing is, is, is leverage. Um, and then the angles, uh, you know, you're, you are lower to the water, even standing up. So it does prove to be a challenge sometimes with flipping. Um, you have an advantage of skipping around docks because you're lower, like out of a kayak. So, I mean, there's a lot of give and take there. Um, and I mean, we could really get into the nuts and bolts of, of kayak angling and, advantages and disadvantages but that's good for for the, yeah. the for the beginners though like if you love to skip docks or if you like to throw a frog or if you like to you know whatever technique is going to require you to use a specific rod it be at a certain elevation you need to understand the kayak you're buying because like it would probably be challenging is it not to rip a jerk bait if you have the wrong rod or you know, pop a frog if you have the wrong rod at the wrong elevation. Things like that are Absolutely. a factor. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you can't stand up and you're trying to work a jerk bait and, you know, you're trying to flip and in a sitting position, like it doesn't work all the time. And you have yeah. to have different rods and, you know, there's there's a lot of factors there. Okay. I think it's interesting while we're talking about like techniques and stuff. But when, when Chelsea, my wife, purchased her kayak, you know, we reached out and like, like hey, we're getting into this any suggestions and he was like take it out of the water and flip it and okay reset the boat and get back into it because it's not an if but a when 
and you got to make sure that you you're able to get back into your boat. So can you talk just briefly on that kind of why that's so important? Yeah. yeah so, I mean, like you said, it's, it's, it's going to happen at some point, you know, you're going to, you're going to put your head over the side. I mean, that's one thing you got to lift a big bass or, or whatever, get your side, your head over the side of the kayak and your boat flips over. So how many times is that? How many times have you fallen out of the kayak? Twice. Mm. So <laughs> were they good stories or were they just like, Oh, I'm being dumb. Uh, one, one, I got my head over the side of the kayak and just rolled my kayak. Actually, I just, I kind of threw my hands up and just fell in the water because I didn't want my boat to flip over. Yeah. Um, so it kind of dumped me out. Um, the other time I was hung up in a tree standing in my boat, there was current and uh, wind current reaching up and just kind of the boat went out from underneath me and I kind of <laughs> <laughs> fell in the drink. But I don't have any crazy stories. Um, I mean, we all hear some, some wild stuff. But So here's um, a message for the audience. Two things. One, wear your personal flotation device, your PFD. And if you don't, you better learn how to swim before you buy a kayak, right? I mean, if you, I mean wear your PFD. I can, I can tell you that. Guys that are the best swimmers in the world, you know, they, you still struggle. Water's cold. Like, you've got current. You're not always right there on the shore. I mean, mm-hmm. with kayak angling, I fish offshore. I fish on Erie. I've been on St. Clair and five-foot you know, rollers and power boats going around. I mean, you can, these boats are able to take it, but you have to be minded in the the safety aspect that things can go wrong. Um, But like Pete was talking about the best thing, you know, for someone that's getting into kayak angling, when you buy a kayak, take it out without any of your gear and flip, or even some gear, flip your kayak over and water that you can't stand on the bottom and learn to re-entry because it can happen and the worst thing that can, you know, happen to you is you not being offshore and not being able to get back in your kayak. Um, you can get hypothermic, drown. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a thing that people overlook, but a lot of the kayak safety classes that are out there, that's going to be the advice they're going to give you is to learn to re-entry. Um, it happens. A good friend of mine at Gunnersville this weekend was practicing, and you guys may know, I mean, there was a huge storm that blew through there, 50 to 80 mile an hour yeah, winds. Yeah. And uh, Joe McElroy, uh got a phone call and and uh his buddy said hey man you need to get off the water well he tried to get back to the ramp couldn't and uh got blown into up under a little bridge and it had a spillway flipped his boat he was in the water for 45 minutes tried to call 911 multiple Mm. times and they couldn't hear him and uh he was getting hypothermic finally the call went through he was able to hear the operator tell him where he was at and he was actually rescued and he's an older gentleman former green beret i mean he's Mm -hmm. a pretty fit guy and uh you know it's just freak accidents happen you just yeah. you don't know when or where it's going to happen so you talked about that incident at gunnersville with the inclement weather and uh we talk about jumping in a kayak flipping it over like making sure you can get back into it um your buddy that you talked about was a former green beret which uh you know hopefully he's still physically fit from or is he still a green beret or not no he's not uh, for, i mean he's for, I guess forever a green, green beret, beret but uh yeah he uh he, he was He's an older gentleman. He's in his sixties. Forever so. a green beret, absolutely. Um, talk about physical fitness and 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 you know like endurance and stuff. Does, how much do the kayak anglers specifically? How much do they focus on that stuff as being a part of the factor and being able to fish you know competitively or recreationally? Probably competitively. The more hardcore competitive anglers tend to take care of themselves a little bit better. Some do. The guys that are at the top, you're going to see work out, have like a good workout regimen. 
I'm not one of those guys. I hate to run or I hate to lift anymore. Like I hurt. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, um, but, uh, you know, you've got guys that are out of shape as well, but yes, there is people that it's physically demanding, especially paddling and pedaling without motors. I mean, to pedal a kayak for miles, I mean, yeah, you can stay in a a small area and it's not too bad on your body, but when you're pedaling, I mean, it's going to work your crop, your quads, your core, your knees, like you need to take care of your body for sure. And it's physically taxing to fish on the water all day. Um, I mean, when we were just down at the Harris chain for the Hobie BOS, the wind blew all day Saturday and I'm talking like 20, 30 mile an hour winds, no matter if you were in a Creek, like the wind was swirling, you were getting blown around. So you were constantly in, in, in the Hobie BOS, you can't use electric motors. So you're pedaling the whole time or paddling. And so you're constantly trying to stay on your spot and get that correct angle for a cast and stay on that grass bed and stuff like that. So you're thinking eight, nine hours a day you're sitting there and your legs are constantly moving. Like it's not, you don't get to relax really unless you just want to drift on. So I mean, now I mean, it's, it, it's physically demanding. For like sure. n- now I'm thinking about it. You put your kayak into the wind and you can constantly pedal at the right speed and you can almost spotlight yourself. I would imagine. Yep. Um, but that's going to be taxing. <laughs> hook, hook, hook the electrodes up and, and measure the cardiovascular, um, endurance of somebody doing kayak angling versus somebody who's playing in a football game, right? You're going to see a huge difference. And that's where a lot of people are like, Oh, fishing's not a sport. And I say, look at the physical demands from somebody who stands on a boat, makes a thousand casts during the day, burns a significant amount of calories. I'm not saying like the physical part just makes it a sport, but it absolutely has a competitive edge and physical endurance is one of those factors that makes this absolutely a sport in my opinion. I feel like I got hit by a truck for fishing in that window. <laughs> oh, I'm dead that tired much. right I now. Mean, it's, <laughs> your body feels it. I mean, I, I I have to take a couple of days to recover after a long weekend, like a two-day tournament. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's up early to bed late. You know, it's 1,000, 2,000 casts a day. You're constantly pedaling like you're moving. You're more in the elements in a kayak than you are even in a boat because that boat is constantly rocking or the kayak is. So your body's compensating for that. So you're using like your, your core constant, like your muscles hurt. Yeah. So it's a lot of yeah. things that you kind of overlook, but you know, it's, it's demanding for sure. I want to talk a little bit about kayak angling with yeah. you because you've obviously been successful. You started a, a big tour, but before we go into that, can, you know, as a Hobie, Hobie rep, Hobie sales, you obviously know the product. Can you kind of just real quick, give us um, an introduction into their, their, like their fishing line and maybe like a, an entry level, lower price point, mid level. And then obviously we know kind of the coupe de gras, that top of the lines that that Hobie PA 14 foot for those, those folks not looking to spend, you know, what at five grand, whatever they are now on, on that, like, what, what would you recommend for somebody looking for that kind of entry level, just want to get started, but want something stable and, and that's going to fish well. Yeah. If you wanted, if you wanted to stick with a Hobie brand, um, you have the passport 10 and a half passport 12, and the compass. So you're looking around that 2000 to $3,000 mark. Um, and then it goes up from there. Um, you have the Outback and then you have the pro anglers and then you have the pro angler 360 series. So you're looking around 2000 to close to $6,000 when you're in a 360. So okay. there's definitely entry level. Um, and then outside of, you know, outside of Hobie, cause there's a lot of, everybody makes great kayaks out there. Um, I just choose to fish out of a Hobie. Um, and then I work for them as well. So I'm a little biased there, but wilderness systems has the recon, um, that you can add a pedal drive to. They have the HD and the non HD model. Um, they have the radar, um, 
you know, you've got the tarpon, which is a paddling kayak. And then you go over to native and bonafide. You've got pedal drives, you got paddling boats, boats that are rigged um, for motors. So there's a lot of, you can get into a really good fishing kayak for around $1,200 um, to $2,500. Um, you can go a little less expensive, but if you want a pedal drive boat, that's where you're going to be. Yeah. And how, for, for anybody considering it, you know, they might go out and do it and they're not sure after a year or two, do, do, do the kayaks hold their value fairly well, uh, resale value-wise, or does they, that tend to fall off? They do, depending on the model, and your Hobies um, hold their value pretty well, native, um, bona fide. It really depends on the model. Um, you're going to see a better resale value on Hobie um, pro anglers than anything else. Okay. But there's always people... My first Hobie actually uh, was a PA-12 that I bought from a guy that was active duty down at Bragg. Mm. And uh, I got a, uh, a fish finder, a PFD. He was getting ready to be deployed. He used it like three times, wanted to get rid of it, and I got a steal on it. I mean, it came with a cart, the fish finder, the battery, the PFD, paddle, net. Like, he had everything. And uh, so that was my first Hobie. But, yeah, I mean, check, check uh, Facebook Marketplace and, you know, things like that. And you can come across some really good deals. And that's the other thing is like, if you're not sure about being in a kayak or being a kayak angler and you just want to try it out, go buy a used boat. There's yeah, plenty yeah. of used boats out there, especially after we had the pandemic, we sold tens of thousands of kayaks during that time. Because Got them stimulus the checks, boat. baby. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, hey, seriously. I said, man, I should be a repo man. I should be a repo man on how many people ain't going to be able to make these payments, but yeah, keep going, man. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> very true. Yeah, so, I mean, there was a lot of boats sold. I mean, the media is telling everybody to social distance and get outside, so it was good for the outdoor industry. I mean, powerboat sales were through the roof, mm -hmm. RVs, like everything. And so a lot of people got into the sport, and they used it a few times, and they're like, eh, it wasn't for me. So they're sitting on the side of the house in the garage, and their wife, whoever, is telling them to get rid of it. So you can find a lot of good deals. Yeah. And then some of the shops that are around, um, the independent specialty shops, they have used boats, and they do – programs where you know lay away and they do all kinds of stuff so there's a lot of options for people out there yeah we keep going back to that independent specialty shop kind of deal and and for anybody out there looking i think that if, if you're serious about a kayak and wanting to get into one even if you're going to buy use those those seem to be the places to go you know your big box stores you can go look at them that's great but check out the local kayak shops there's i mean there seems like there's one ever in every town now uh, with how the sport's taken off, not just fishing, but recreational. And and like Corey was saying, they'll set up on-demand tests. They might have test days. I know Rock Outdoors, uh, this sells a bunch of different brands. They do one or two a month where they go on Saturday and they take a bunch of kayaks to, to the water and they invite everybody out to come try them. Um, so take advantage of those situations um, right. and, and try before you buy. Even if you're going to buy used, like like Corey said, and recommend it, go, you can still go try a new one. Uh, and then you at least know what you're looking for as you as you go search the market for for that purchase. You bring up a, you both bring up a good point, and and I think nobody's steering any way anyone away from a big box store. But let's be honest: when you go to Lowe's and you talk to somebody in the lumber section, they probably don't know the first thing about a two by four by twelve or whatever. Right? Hell, I don't even know what it is. But I'll tell you that the specialty stores they are anglers they do use the product they know it right so i'm not going to take 
I'm not, I mean, yeah, I bought my boat from Bass Pro Shops, right? But that's just because of budget, right? That was a budget thing. But go to those specialty stores. They're going to be knowledgeable on the product. Um, they're the enthusiasts, like you said. They're the ones that use it day in and day out and know how to operate. And it's a specialty product I yeah. mean, when you get down to it. so. Yeah. Before we uh, before we move on, I know we want to talk tournament fishing stuff from the kayak side. Um, for the listeners, do you have to register a certain length kayak as a vessel in whatever state you're in? You don't. Um, well, not here in North Carolina. The only time that you have to in North Carolina register is if you put a uh, electric motor or gas motor on a kayak. So they do um, have so to be registered with a with a trolling motor. Yep. Ooh, yeah. it's so fourteen like, footer ever though, correct? It's under, it doesn't matter what size. Okay, so in North Carolina, it doesn't matter. Yeah, if, you, if you motorize it in any capacity, you have to have it registered, which it's pretty inexpensive. I mean, people, you know, some guys are like, oh, you know, it's expensive thing every year. It's like 30 bucks. I mean, yeah. you get down to it, it's not a big deal. Yeah, it's like two pack <laughs> of soft plastics. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's important for everyone to know. I, I had no idea. Um, yeah. and, and so if you're getting ready to put a motor on your stuff, Make sure you go to uh, was it Fish and Wildlife, and you got to register that vessel, right? Yeah, for North Carolina. Yeah. What about what about your yeah, kayak think, trailer? Yeah, what about your trailer? You got to get tags. Kayak trailer the same way. Yeah, I mean it's like a people convert utility trailers or yeah. specialized kayak trailers, custom built ones. Like I have a custom built one, but yeah, you have to register that as well. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, there's certain states, and I want to say it's Ohio, um, that you have to register a kayak no matter what, even if you have. If it's on the water, you gotta have it registered. That makes sense. So in Missouri, um, Ohio right? would do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in Missouri, it's, so this is true for boats. I don't know about kayaks, but in Missouri, you have to register your trailer, your actual boat, the hull, and the motor. Mm. You have to register the motor. Yes, Pennsyl- one, Pennsylvania, you have to title a motor. But yeah, you have to register. one it's one it's a it's a tax thing, so they can uh, uh, nickel and dime you again. Uh, but 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 two, I guess theoretically, you can sell the motor off the boat. And it can go someplace. Well, else. we need to have a conversation with Rick Clun because that's absolutely ridiculous. So <laughs> I don't think he has any influence over Jeff City. He is, he, so he's Ben's go. He has the influence. So before before we talk a little bit of the actual kayak tournament angling with with Corey, any, any questions about kayaks for, left for you guys? Oh, color. So how much does the color factor? Like, how much does color factor in your decision-making process? Like, I know you'll see guys up on the front deck of their boat, and they'll be wearing, like, multi-cam because they think the fish can't see them, right? When they're bed fishing, you get some guys that, you know, like, take their shirt off because they're wearing a white one and put, like, a dark-colored shirt on. I don't I don't get it, but does color factor into the decision? For some people, yes. For me, no. Okay. Um, you're so low to the water, like, it's not really going to matter. I mean, if you were fishing in a spring, that was crystal clear where, you know, you're trying to catch a fish down in Florida off of a bed. Yeah. Bright yellow kayak or orange or whatever, (laughs) like may stick out, but in the majority of waters, like that color is going to kind of disappear in the light spectrum. Anyways, it's more of a color kind of falls into a safety aspect of most folks. Um, But for fishing, it's more of a myth in my opinion that it's going to spook fish. I mean, you'd have to be on top of a, You'd have to be on top of fish, and I—I I mean, I've caught them right at the boat. Like it, I don't think it really matters too much. Do do people that use yellow kayaks typically not catch fish because they look like bananas? <laughs> they don't. <laughs> so, just on the safety thing, real quick. Uh, this is more of a, a PSA than anything. Flag lights, 
if you if you're kayak fishing, do it. I I see it all the time out on the water where they don't have anything, and you know I'm running 55, 60 miles an hour in a boat, and I come around a bend, and there's a kayak with no flags or anything. It's hard to see that person on the water. Um, so be smart. Those they sell a bunch of different flag kits. They don't cost anything. I mean, they're like fifteen bucks. You can get a fold up flag with a yellow flag that hangs up in the air, so they can at least see you when you come around the bay. I mean, you can go to Lowe's and get a uh, a little flag over in like the the mailbox section where they have the signage and stuff. That's yeah. you know a couple dollars that you could put on a crate or whatever I mean, you want to. If you want to get real cheap, just take the the flags I have at Lowe's for the lumber. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they give them out for free, I right? Got, yeah, yeah. What I'm getting at is do right. some buy lumber though. It's, <laughs> it man, is a huge I've, thing, though, Pete. Like it's I've been close to being run over a few times, yeah. and uh, you know it's more of like bins and the creeks and stuff oh, like yeah. that where it's coming around sixty. And I've I've been guilty. I've almost run over kayaks in my boat. It's hard to see you. Um, and then the other thing too, back to like registering your kayak with a with a motor is you are required to run, um, you know, in low light conditions, you have to have balanced stern lights. Okay. So you have to have that white light and then a green and red light on, on your boat. So it is required by law and they do check you and we'll write you a ticket if you don't. Yeah. And I can tell you somebody who's rigged a bunch of different boats and I've only had the pleasure of rigging one kayak, which is my wife's. It is nothing to rig a damn kayak to throw lights and stuff yeah. on there. So it is so much easier to, to work. It is. I had a lot of fun when we, when we, we rigged some stuff on hers and, um, it's not a hard thing. And I know there's some companies too out there that have, uh, like snap on magnetics, you know, so you don't even have to drill holes in your boat or whatever, if, if that's what you're worried about. So at the end of the day, just do something so that you can be seen, uh, when you're on the water. Cause actually the, the first time Corey and I had talked a bunch, the first time I met him was at falls. I had a club tournament and you were there to fish a, a kayak tournament and, uh, right at blast off, you know, we're coming out of, uh, upper Barton's there to go out to the lake and all the kayaks that were heading that way were kind of lined up spaced out a little bit, but they're through the lake. Luckily they all had lights or something, but that was when it really clicked for me. Like if you're out there and don't have anything and, and you're fishing a tournament or whatever in the morning, you, you're definitely not going to get seen at blast off by, yeah. by a boat tournament. Uh, you know, most, most tournaments, as soon as it's safe, you know, local clubs and stuff, we're ready to roll. We're not waiting till right. like, the sun's up like BSS waits a little longer and stuff like that. We're rolling as soon as hey, y'all feel comfortable? Yeah, yeah. It looks good, Bill. Let's run them. Then you know you're down the you're down the water. So. Uh, not not brag, bass busters. They always start late because those guys show up late, dude. I mean, no kidding. Yesterday, I almost got blasted by a boat that was probably 25 feet behind me, and I slowed down for a danger area on falls. But th that goes, and this is stimulating a lot more questions about the safety stuff with with kayak fishing. What's the bear? So especially you said you have to register uh, your vessel when you have a motor on it uh, from the kayak side. Is there a bare minimum safety standard uh, by law for that? Like, you know, like with a boat, you have to have a throw pillow and you have to have, you know, a fire extinguisher and stuff like that for kayaks with motors on them. Is there a standard? So kayaks with motors. Yeah. You have to have the white light. You have to have um, your, your bow lights, uh, green and red, um, and that's really it. You okay. don't have to have a fire extinguisher or anything like that. What about a um, whistle? You do have to have a whistle. I know, so, I, so I know that because in my so, lake, you have to have a yeah. whistle and I think and a, a, a life jacket. And uh, the PFD has they to will be write accessible. Your ticket. Yeah. yeah. So you have to have a, a whistle and have to have a PFD that is accessible. Um, and if it's inflatable, you have to have it worn. Like okay. Um, so that means like if you have a, a, a PFD and you put it inside of a hatch, 
um, of the kayak, you can get a ticket for that because it is not accessible. If you flip your kayak and you get separated, like you're not ever going to get that PFD. It's not going to float, whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, whistle and PFD is the bare minimum for any kayak. Um, and then, uh, with a motorized kayak, you got to have the lights and, and all, and keep in mind, all these will vary probably upon states. So check your state and local regulations to make sure you're squared away before you get on the water and be safe. And I, and I will say to, to comment on the, uh, inflatable must be worn. I did, I got checked by NCWRC and only had, uh, two inflatables and we were fishing and they were laying on the, uh, laying on the seats. Cause you take them off when, when you fish on the boat and they said, well, you don't have any life jackets I, said, I got two life jackets no is that if on they're a not boat, on, on if they're not on they do not count north carolina as a, wow as a life they said go to walmart and buy some of those cheap orange ones and shove them in a cu- cupboard and we'll you're fine they, they just gave me a warning but yeah they do not count even if they're laying right there on the seat i've been breaking the law oh yeah every day so uh bare, <laughs> we, t- we talked about bare minimum is there anything that you do personally based on lessons learned or scar tissue is there anything additional that you carry with you uh for safety precautions like a personal locator beacon or anything like that i don't um the one thing that i do use is a flag typically okay I a flag like pete said um you know yak attack makes the busy carbon pro which is a light and has a flag it's actually the bag that everything folds into so it's got two bungees on it and just clips on um, that's one thing that I typically carry with me at all times and have on the boat during throughout the day. But, um, EPIRV and, and things like that, like there is some guys that, that have them. And now that they're not as expensive as they used to be, um, you know, we tend to spend $500 on a fishing reel, but we look at safety things as like, eh, we don't need it. You know, it's too expensive. I mean, dude, but it is a good thing to have. You're up on the great lakes in the middle of essentially the freshwater ocean, uh, there's coast guard stations all throughout the great lakes. And one of the things that I know that I would carry on me up there is, is some sort of beacon type deal or a radio that I don't know if they use UHF. I think it's UHF, right? That, that those guys are on. Um, but that's important to know. So kind of like Ben said, and, and Corey and, and all of us been saying like, check your state regulations, uh, also check your federal regulations if you go into federal water, right? Because there is a difference. There's some sort of nautical mile, you know, once you pass yeah, state waters, guys. Yeah, yeah, the offshore fishing guys, like there's federal regulations, even the, the, even the creel limit on certain fish species changes in federal waters and stuff like that. Yep. So, you know, and educate yourself. And then if you have any specific questions, you can hit us up on the one cast page and uh, we'll try to get that answer for you. There's lakes too. any, any navigable waterway that is coast guard patrolled or, or responded to you have to follow those so yeah that's a question that now stimulated do you so kill switch do you have to have a kill switch like you do with a boat for uh yeah, so, for your motor? yeah so my my torpedo has a, a magnetic kill switch that sits on there and i attach it to my either my pants or my pot okay okay got a little i mean if you some guys don't wear it i think it's probably let's say if it's a law but it, it should be because if you do get knocked over, like if you're standing up and running your motor on low and you hit a stump, like it's happened to a few guys, mm. get knocked out of the boat, like your boat's just going to continue on. Um, so, yeah, I do wear it, though. Yeah, I know, I know navigable waters, the, the Coast Guard, that is a regulation now where you have to have a kill switch uh, for a, a motor. I, I don't know if it specifies gas motor, but a motor gas propelling a vessel. Yeah. So uh, that's what I was curious if, uh, if I they did. I would imagine this. it's not electric because none of us have kill switches with our trolling motors. 
I was thinking True. that. But, That's a good yeah. point. <laughs> maybe maybe we should edit that out. Don't give him any ideas. <laughs> Coast Guard, don't listen we'll to We'll have a big, right a big tether to our trolling motors now in, a, in case we fall out of bed. The has a kill switch on it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, be safe, everyone out there. Be safe on the water. But let's, let's transition over a little bit to talk uh, kayak fishing tournaments. And Corey, <laughs> uh, if... I don't know how many different formats there are, but if you kind of just want to break down how, and you've done both, kind of the major difference between kayak fishing and um, boat fishing, because I think we're probably all familiar with the boat fishing uh, because it's always on TV and all, and those of us who, who are you know, addicted to fishing, we, we see all that, but kayak is still up and coming, so if you want to, and if there's multiple ways, just kind of give out the maybe the couple most common kayak tournament rules and setups and, and how it's ran. So really the, the most common and, and most used, I don't think there's really any live weigh-ins uh, anymore for, for kayaks. Um, it's all catch photo release. We call it CPR, so catch photo release. That's a big difference between, um, uh, you know, boats of throwing them in a live well and coming in and actually weighing them. Uh, but uh, CPR, so you're going to have a designated measuring board. Okay, that everybody has to use. You can some some of them specify, like Hobie and Bass. You have to have a, or actually just Hobie. You have to have a metal board. Um, some of them allow a poly board, plastic, or a metal. Um, certain brands, like you can only use a certain brand. Like Catch, Catch Company has a uh, a board that's out there that's kind of the standard now. Yeah. Um, so you have you have that. You, uh, you use your cell phone, like there's apps out there now, so it's a live leaderboard. You take a picture of the fish, and in the background or on the fish, whatever, you got to look at your rules because every tournament is different or series. Uh, but you have a unique identifier to that tournament, right? And it's going to have a number on it, or it's going to have a card that says CKA or KBF or Hobie or whatever. But you have to have that in the picture. Um, and so you take, take a picture of your fish, and you're going to upload that picture to a live it's either tourney x or fishing chaos or you know there's a couple other little mm -hmm. things out there that people use um so that's kind of the basics there um and then you know your rules going back to your rules like some you have to have the mouth closed uh you can't pinch the tail you can't have your hand inside of a gill plate like you can't cover the eye because that's an identifying mark of the fish like there's certain fins that they don't want you to cover up um, and there's all these rules are in place because of stuff that's happened in the past, like with cheating and things of that nature. So you want to be able to identify the difference between this 18 inch fish. And if you catch one an hour later, make sure it's not the same fish because every fish has kind of like a birthmark on it, you know, so to speak, like lateral lines could be different. The fin may have a little cut in it. But what if you, you know, catch the same fish twice? For instance, so bed fishing, you put him back and he goes right back. Are you allowed to catch him again? No, not in the same day. So okay. if it's a, uh, um, like a two day tournament, like uh, KBF runs a trail one on Saturday and then trail two on Sunday, it's not a, it's not a two day tournament. So it's separate days. So if you were to bed fish on Saturday, you could go back Sunday to the same place mm -hmm. and go catch the same fish and, and use them. But if it is a two day tournament, you can't like out of your 10 fish that you, you have to check in, you can't use the same fish at all. What I guess uh, you, you could you could get away with that when you're sight fishing, but what if you're not sight fishing, but you're just fishing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, look at the draw, man. Yeah. Like, it, it's just, 
it's one of those things and it, it kind of goes back to angler responsibility like sure. if i was to go catch a 20 inch fish right yeah and an hour later i came back through that general area and i caught another 20 inch fish like i need to do my due diligence and look through my photo album yeah. and say hey is there any identifying marks you could you could submit that fish and leave it up to the judges to see and let them deal with it and continue yeah. on fishing they're gonna let you know because they sit in the background and they're looking at these fish on a computer so it's blown up they can zoom in they can see it a lot better than you can on your your phone but it does happen i mean there's been people that have lost you know being a first or you know in the money and got dropped out because and then they'd go back and allow you to upload the next biggest fish that you had you know okay you to that or whatever are the pictures but, are they geotagged when they're uploaded in they the background yeah, so okay. it's got location time like anything that's the other thing too is like phones now they record everything so if you were to um, take a picture and crop the photo, like, and submit that, or change the direction, like, you have your phone turned sideways, right? Mm -hmm. And in your album, that, that picture is turned this way, and not the correct way for you to view it. If you were to change that, it actually flags that photo hmm. and says that it's been manipulated, no matter what you do to it. So if you were to, to change the location, the timestamp, um, anything in your phone, like, it alerts the system. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things in a lot of practices that are out there like over the years that have eliminated cheating in certain ways. So every couple of years, I'd say now it's it's about every two years we come across something that somebody's come up with to try to cheat. I mean, it's just we know that's going to happen at some point, um, but it doesn't happen very often anymore. I mean, I would say that most people we talked about this in the beginning. Most people are on the up and up, yeah. uh, you know, but there's been. There's been all kinds of things that have happened out there. So we're going to have bad, bad eggs and anything, especially when there's money involved. And you That's told right. us about some of the stuff you saw. Like I know you told Chelsea some of the stuff and she kind of told me about the conversation you had. And it was, it was kind of sad what people would do to, uh, you know, clipping it's, fins and things like that to try to make it look, uh, look like a different fish. And right. People cut tails, fins, um, you know, modified measuring boards. Like that's why Hobie only goes to metal boards now. Like sure you could weld a board back together, but they do a board check before the tournament starts and they put a, a sticker on there so that they know that that board's been checked. And if that sticker is not visible in your photos, like those fish are DQ'd. Mm -hmm. So they check all this stuff be beforehand, but the old plastic boards like the hog troughs mm -hmm. back in the day, you know, not to get on anything negative, but I mean, it happens. We all know cheating happens in everything, um, especially when money is involved, but, there was a guy that had three measuring boards and he had a full size length. He had one with two inches cut out of it and he took dowel rods cause there was a little, um, uh, channels in the back of the board. Right. So he took a dowel rod and glued them in, but he cut two inches of the board out that would be covered by the fish. Right. So as you laid the bass down that little split. So from 10 to 12 inches is now together. Right. So you got two inches out of this one. The next board he had had four inches cut out. So he catches a, 14 inch fish he takes a picture on the regular board right uploads it takes his other board out puts that 14 inch fish on there now it's 16 inches mm. then he gets the next board that had four inches cut out now it's an 18 inch fish and so like it's hard for people like when you see it it's hard for judges to see that but once it's like brought to light you go there's no way that's an 18 inch bass that's a 14 inch fish like you can tell by the body size and stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. And quickly going through and looking like it was things like that so that's changed a lot of the rules like to metal boards and you know 
we used to use cameras uh, prior to cell phones and like you had an SD card. So at the end of the tournament, we had to put an SD card in a Ziploc bag and turn it in and <laughs> they'd plug it in the computer and have to go through all your fish. Like things have evolved so much and, and uh, different practices. Like it's extremely hard for somebody to cheat and not get caught. It went from the other thing floppy disk to iPhones. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, the other thing is too, is I mentioned this, like there's, people that win you have eyes on you all the time with tourney x and fishing chaos for every tournament you can go back and you can look at every fish submission that's that was on there for that angler Mm -hmm. so their top five fish people scrutinize those i mean with a fine tooth comb they're going to go through and they're going to look at every little detail and if a judge missed something they're going to go back and they're going to say something absolutely someone did someone didn't make any money yes 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 people are going to hold people accountable (laughs) you know and i i can't blame people for going back you know because people make mistakes but yes there's people that just trolls i call them you know they're just gonna troll and they'll dig something up that's six months old and they go oh well this guy won five thousand dollars and shouldn't have won anything i mean it's it happens like things slip through the cracks and yeah whether intentional or not most of the time i'd say it's not intentional it's just an error caught the same fish and you know, stuff like that. So, no, oh, yeah, it'd be hard to tell. It, that's why I asked about geotagging. If you catch a fish, right, because all that data is embedded, and you, and you go back an hour later, like you're the exact grid coordinates probably not going to be the same, or the lat, lat long, and the time's going to be different. You know, so um, it's going to be close. Yeah. yeah, interesting. What uh? So you started in KBF, and then you know you started the the CKA, which is yeah, it is the biggest in North Carolina, correct? See, it yeah. was, yeah. Queen City Kayak Bass Fishing out of Charlotte. Okay, is yeah. This club out of uh, the state. So Vinny Ferrari runs that, and he does a great job. Um, they have a big following. So they kind of pull from South Carolina, being a Charlotte area. They have South Carolina and North Carolina anglers. And they go all over the state. CK is more central to western. Um, and then we have Central Carolina Kayak Anglers. And then we have one that's down at the east, like down at the coast. And they're a smaller club. Okay. But uh but yeah, there's a lot of a lot of opportunity. Um, I'd say North Carolina probably has the best um, kayak clubs out there, next to Tennessee. Texas used to be up there, and they've kind of fallen off. Virginia has some really good clubs. Um, but for somebody trying to get into the sport, go to the local clubs and and just go hang out. You know. Yeah, we um, talk about it with bat with boat fishing. Got folks that want to get into it, join a local club, and it seems like that opportunity is there. Because I know there's a lot fun. of smaller ones too. Smaller, you know, kayak foothills is one local right does some stuff with cash and that runs a pretty good yep. club and yep Bills, i forgot about those guys yeah, yeah they're a newer club in the last two years so yep. good dudes over there so for for kayak tournament tournaments you know like if you're running a local club here or you're you know piedmont bass classics collins stuff like that they got to get uh ramp permits mm-hmm. uh in order to launch those tournaments do you have to do the same thing uh, in the kayak so, world we do do you? yeah it's an event at a ramp launch no matter what um venues like a lot of times we'll do a weigh-in or check-in at one ramp see the thing with with kayak fishing is like we go out to jordan um we may check in at ebenezer okay Okay. but kayak anglers can launch any public ramp on the the lake so they could go to any wildlife ramp um but they have to meet up back there and if you're gonna hold an event there awards or anything yeah you gotta have a so that's pretty cool then so you 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 sent you meet up at said ramp and then you can trailer to whatever uh boat launch you want and then yeah, go- you can do that and a lot of times now with with technology and being able to do you know zoom lives and you know things like that we do a um we do a captain's meeting the night before or you know 
two nights before during the week, you know, Thursday night or whatever for the upcoming Saturday event. So we don't have to meet up in the morning. So it's, you're paying through PayPal or, or whatever Venmo. Um, so you're not distributing cash. We used to carry, you know, thousands of dollars worth of cash with us. And, uh, you know, we don't do that anymore. Yeah. So we, uh, those anglers can show up to the ramp and you have a designated launch time and then you have a designated, uh, lines in time and then lines out. And then you have so much time after for uploading fish and then so much time to get back and check in if that series requires you to check in after the event. Okay. So, Talk- I mean, there's a lot to it. Everybody's different. Yeah. It's crazy, but can the Hobie, the, the Hobie BOS series, are you still, I know last year and through COVID and stuff, those registrations would open up for like 200 boats and that joker was full in like 15 minutes. Um, is it still, are you still seeing that craze like with the Hobie series and some of the bigger stuff where, where they do limit boat numbers and it's, it just sells out like unbelievably fast. Yeah. So, I mean, there's still that urgency. They're not selling out. Um, like the Caddo event that we have coming up, there's 204 anglers and they capped the event at 225. Okay. Um, it took a while to get there, but, uh, you know, Santee the other day, uh, just opened up for April 1st and 2nd. Oh. Um, that event within the first two minutes, I think at 140 people sign up. Um, so it's still, people are still worried about getting in, but Hobie changed up some things this year. Like if you were in the TOC or, you know, so many like the top 50 and angler of the year points, they gave you preference to sign up early, kind of like okay. some of the bigger boat series and stuff. So like you had three days before to sign up and you could sign up for as many events throughout the season as you wanted. Um, so that stopped some of the urgency, but the thing that happened when they opened these up and there was that craze, like I've got to get on there. Now the guys that were going, it kind of screwed folks, honestly, because the guys that were going after angler of the year points, say you were at work or had something come up and at noon on a Thursday, the event opened up and it was selling out in five minutes. If you didn't have a five minute break, like that just screwed your whole season. Like yeah. you, you missed mm-hmm. the event, you know, you couldn't, now you can't go and you had to wait for somebody to drop out and there's a waiting list. I mean, there was events that like Santee, I think there were 73 people on the waiting list last year. It was a sold out event. Wow. And, uh, you know, it's, it's popular. Yeah. That's awesome. Urgency. Yeah. I think it's awesome because it opens up the, the, the bigger level. Let's be honest. You and I have talked about it and that kayak fishing's piqued my interest. Maybe one of these days I'll, I'll, I'll take the leap, but the entry fees tend to be a bit lower. The upfront cost is a bit lower and the payouts are significantly better when you look at, at the, at the payouts of these tournaments. And, uh, I don't know. It's just a different way of fishing. It's something that, you know, meeting the you and Casey and, oh, they're yeah, way better. I mean, you're, I mean, for a Hobie event now, you're looking at 200 and I think it's 285 or 295 for a two day, you know, two day event. Um, which is still up there. The bass events are 250 KBFs, like 100, I think it's 130 per now. And then you can do like the bonus bucks, Dakota lithium double up deal. So if you get in that, it's like another hundred dollars. And basically whoever uh, is entered in that it's contingency money basically, but the highest they go, like the top five guys, they pay out if you're in that deal at the end. But um, And you say that and people might hear that and they think, wow, that, that's not cheap, but you're, these are national level events, right? So these you're thinking the of like the series. opens, the elite yeah. series, the the, sure. the the pro BPT, all of these, the NPFL, where you're talking about 
five, ten, fifteen thousand dollar entry fees per tournament, or, or you know whatever it is, you're you're scaling that to maybe four hundred, five hundred, and you're you're winning. You know, the, like I said, the payouts are significantly better. So there was two hundred and thirty four people at the Bass event this weekend um, at Gunnersville for Bassmaster Kayak Series, and uh, I want to say first place it was over thirteen thousand dollars for first place. There Second you go. Place, like seven thousand. So. Wow. You know, there's it's good money. It's really good money, even at the local level when you're paying fifty and sixty bucks to enter these events. Um, and then they have like Queen City does like a the normal event, and they have the I think their elite series that you know you yeah. can get in, you can buy into. It's like fifty bucks for that. So every club has something different. You got big bass that you can buy into. So I mean, you can walk away with thousands of dollars. Um, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty wild. He just won it down at Murray. I mean, he got first place Saturday in the first event. Second, he got. The second day he got second place and then he won the Dakota Lithium the overall. Mm -hmm. And he came home with like seven thousand plus dollars. Um, you know, with a three hundred dollar entry fee. Yeah. So how did this there's a lot of money to be won? How how was the season broken down for like the, the BASS and, and KBF and Hobie events? Like when does it start and when does it end? So it typically ends um KBF's a little different this year. They're gonna end in June, um, but they started in January. Um, uh, Hobie a few weeks ago started in Harris, so February, and they run through uh, October. And then we have the TOC, the Tournament of Champions. Uh, Bass is only running five events this year. They end in October. Um, and then you qualify for the Bassmaster um, Kayak Classic. Mm -hmm. uh, like this year and previous years, it was in conjunction with the boat side of things. We fish on a different lake and then go to the event they do the top 10 guys on stage at the classic mm -hmm. you know and the deal so do they um, do they televise any of that they they do um they televise the awards through bass okay but, but there's nothing on the water that they're, they're doing any live coverage so hobie hobie this year started some live stuff on facebook um so it's it's live from the water steve fields goes around he's the photographer videographer so he'll go around and he'll interview some folks and do some lives from the water. But the sport really hasn't evolved to that yet. The closest thing that we had was a, a series called the KFL, mm -hmm. the Kayak Fishing League. And so it was a team format, you know, uh, eight guys per team. And we'd fish four on four against, you know, other teams in the state or in surrounding states. And so we would be live through our cell phones, right? We'd put our cell phones up on a, a, a camera mount. Uh, behind us in front of us or whatever so you would see a live action um kind of like this you know you'd bring in you could bring in all eight anglers you know just three or four as a guy hooks up you know it's full screen now cordy has got a fish on you can kind of see that you can talk talk through your day and what you're doing but it really kayak fishing hasn't evolved to that yet it's coming yeah um it's just expensive um, yeah. somebody would eventually i could see so, some opportunities though i mean even drone footage and stuff like that where you're hovering over and you know for a significant period of time like especially if you guys are fishing like bed fish and stuff like that that would be some of the coolest i mean i, I would say television is, but you know there is some stuff out there it's not televised like on tv yet but um there is some shows like kbf the you know kayak bass fishing mm -hmm. show that chad mm -hmm. does yeah um you know he's filmed the 10 uh which is a top 10 anglers you know and you get to see kind of up close and personal they have videographers on the water videotaping you and and uh it's pretty sweet that's awesome that is but yeah the live footage stuff that's coming i'd say within the next five years you're gonna see that with gopros being able to 
go live on Facebook. Like you have some guys that do that and through Twitch and, you know, a couple other platforms, some guys individually will go live, but there's not, it's a little more difficult for a camera boat to follow around yeah. a kayak. Yep. Um, so, and that, guys are real, I mean, it's like in a boat and they get that, That's the new model, right? Hobie's developing a new model. It's, <laughs> it's the camera. It's Space, the camera kayak right, for the camera, camera guy, guy for yeah. the crew. <laughs> a little tripod back there. Yeah. I'll go ahead and design one. I'll sell it to you guys. <laughs> So before we, uh, I mean, this, this was off air folks. Uh, we talked, uh, you said there were some new rules changes. If I remember correctly, you want to break that down for us? Yeah. So uh, a couple of the series bass and Hobie this year, uh, went to designated launches and what that means is designated launches on a map that they're going to vet out prior to the tournament. And they also allow the anglers during the official practice period to submit a public launch that they may have missed. Right. So it's strictly public launches um, and these are designated launches. These aren't just a a dirt ramp on the side of the road or, you know, drag through the woods or, you know, something like that that may be on private, private or public property. We've always said it just keeps the questions down of where somebody launched. Um, And the other thing is, too, is some of the events that we had, um, you know, there was some controversy with some guys launching, say, Kentucky Lake, for instance, uh, with a national championship through KBF, they opened up any tributary that was connected to the to the lake. Well, there was guys that literally fished like 30 plus miles up a creek and it was connected to the water like you could get there by kayak. You know, you could float through some boats could get through. So technically, but it's not really at that point. It wasn't Kentucky Lake. anymore. Yeah. And so it was Jim Bob's pond. That's right. Like it. it, (laughs) that into anything i mean there could you you're so far off the map so people started looking at this and complaining and it brought all the tournament directors together and they're they're like okay we're gonna do designated launches now some people don't like it um i don't really care the the drawback the con to this is that you know you have 225 people in an event some of these lakes though we fish on these big bodies of water that power boats do you're concentrating the anglers more into these yeah. designated yeah. Yep. So that's the negative, and people are like, "We, I haven't run any, into any issues yet um, with these changes personally, um, but it, it's bound to happen on some of the lakes because some of the big lakes you're only going to have four or five major launches. Well, I mean, right. to me, it would seem pretty easy. You just put boundaries. You can't, you know, I mean, the pro tournaments do it on certain bodies of water. Like, you can't go past this mile marker, you can't go past this bend in the river or whatever it is. So yeah. Yeah. I could see that changing up. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. We've tried that boundaries deal. Um, and it does work and they kind of, you know, it's a lot, it was a lot of back and forth. They were like, instead of boundaries, we're just going to do, um, designated launches. Cause if somebody wants to go up, you know, up that Creek or river, they might have to motor or pedal or paddle or whatever. They might have to go 10 or 15 miles, but so right. be it. But yeah. now you have to go, you're not launching from a bridge or a dirt, path down the side of the road <laughs> that kind of and then you've got the hardcore guys like drew gregory that are like to get in those untouched waters and these areas of creeks and rivers that these fish have never even seen a lure and that's what he he loves to do is he yeah. likes to find those waters and that's part of kayak fishing so yeah. it's part of kayak fishing but there's a place and time for it in my opinion versus a tournament like a tournament should have designated launches like you're fishing this body of water like if you want to go up that way, you can. Um, and then some of the other rules, one of the other big rules that changed was the communication. So uh, we were able to call each other on the phone, um, solicit information if we wanted to. 
uh, until this season. So all the all the series have gone to no communication on the water um, with electronics or in person. Um, and that's caused kind of a big stink with people because that's kind of taken away. I mean, even in the boat events, like you might not be able to talk on a electronic device, but in person we could come up and say, Hey man, they're biting on this. If we wanted to share that info with your buddy. Um, so now it's, you can't even do that among fellow competitors. No. Nope. So what does that do with a rooming situation wow. when people are Airbnb so, together and so stuff? This is only, only during tournament hours. So, oh, outside okay. Tournament hours. Oh, okay. so like beforehand, uh, yeah, because we all thought that that was going to be the rule is like, hey, we Airbnb with all these guys. Like, now we can't talk fishing. Like, it sucks because you, there's a great. Like, Guess we'll watch golf. Nothing against golf. But the reason being is there's been some groups of folks that, um, you know, people feel like they were at a disadvantage uh, because you've got six, eight guys that constantly communicate and they were passing info to each other and they were doing well. But they put this rule in place and those same anglers are still at the top. Mm-hmm. So like, they're yeah. just, it's just their group of friends that they were with, but it brings, you know, the new guy that comes in is like, Hey, I can't compete, compete against Corey Dyer and, you know, Casey Reed and, and Jody queen, because these three guys talk on the phone all day. And if one of them's on them, they're like, Hey man, come over here. It's a lot different. We kind of help each other out. But the one thing I don't like about it is I'm one of those anglers that I like to see people succeed. Mm-hmm. even during i'm super competitive but if you're not catching anything i know you've got your time and money and you spent a week down here practicing and like you're struggling to catch a fish and be like hey man you know i'm biting they're biting on this color hey you know here's a bait go do this you st- at the end of the day you still have to catch them but i can't do that anymore now right. so yeah. like it, it's it's frustrating because <laughs> yeah. i i like to see those people because i mean that's what brings people back man is you know they have a good time and if they drive from Maine down to Florida and they haven't caught anything. What's the chances of them coming back again? You're you're absolutely right. We talked about this. I think I made this comment in a couple episodes uh, prior to this one. It's like secrets don't necessarily always help the industry when you're so tight lipped about everything. It's going to drive certain people that just don't have a tolerance for it away. So I can definitely see where that could be damaging. And it it may seem like it's a very impersonal now uh, amongst the anglers. And they're like, nope, can't talk to you, bro. You know, Um, the other thing with the with the with the designated launches and and I agree with it. But I guess I guess where I would see this, it's going to change potentially some strategy now that you can't get into some of those areas. So now you're going to be concentrated into, you know, maybe more community style fishing and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm sure that's going to change the game. It, it, it will for sure. Um, a lot of people thought that it was going to change right away, but I mean, some of these folks are still doing well that were the guys that were off the beaten path type anglers. I mean, they're now fishing community holes and, you know, things like that. So, I mean, it's, Time will tell. We'll see after the yeah. season how yeah. how it really changes everything. Mm-hmm. So awesome. Anything else you y'all have? Yep. One. I think we're going to wrap it up here in a second, Corey. So, if I'm looking to get a kayak, and I know you're a Hobie guy, but Corey, sell me on a Hobie. Why is it the best kayak on the market? So comfort, stability, and the layout of the boat. That's what's gonna. That's that's number one right there. Um, comfort of the boat, best seat on the market standability super stable um and then the layout you have a place for everything you've got your rods you've got the rod holders 
you got places for your batteries, all your tackle, like there's a place for everything. So it's, in my opinion, the best kayak on the market. Sweet. Is standability, a, uh, is that a word in the kayak industry? Standability, yeah. Standability, <laughs> I like it. Yeah, yeah. I like it too. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, standability. Standability, yeah. I mean, the most, you hear that a lot. And that's where I come up Fishability. With how stable yeah, I mean, the boat yeah. is and what's the standability of this boat? Like, I like it. Yeah. I like it. I think because it, I think it fits. People, yeah. I mean, people want to know, can I stand up? Can I launch and stand up in the kayak? Because there's some kayaks you can't stand in. So we call it standability. So we got <laughs> standability and then we got fishuational. Fishuational. Right? Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's but good. Fishability is, you hear it all the time on boat commercials. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Fishability. The fishability of this boat. Right? Yeah. The, the, the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes sense. No. Awesome. So, so Corey, we really appreciate you taking time to come on. Um, just, uh, like we do with anybody we have come on, I want to give you a minute to, to plug, you know, yourself, let us know your socials for anybody that's not, not following or wants to, but also any sponsors that, that you want to want to plug here and, uh, you know, give some folks an opportunity to look at some of the companies you work with. Yeah, absolutely. I want to thank you guys first and foremost. Thanks for having me on here. I really appreciated it. And so look forward to being on here again and hopefully getting you guys out in a kayak. So that'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah we got to have a one cast kayak day. Yeah. That's what I figured out. <laughs> really. I mean, I've got, I have a small fleet of boats right now, but I'll have some more Hobies shortly and uh, we can get in all the different models and wherever you guys want to fish, we'll hit one of the lakes. I want the one that tips the worst. <laughs> I, I want that one. Yeah. He wants the least standability. I want the least standability. <laughs> we'll have you to, well, maybe we'll have to do it down on my lake. So, because then you can, you can get out and, Climb over the dams and put it in another pond. Yeah, there's yeah. Like seven different places Let's you can go. It. Yeah, Heck yeah. yeah. So, and then also, I just want to thank you know some of my sponsors, uh, Cash and Rods. You know they've been a huge proponent of mine and and partner. Um, love their rods and Torquedo, Hobie, uh, Catch, Z Man. I've got a few others. Yak Attack, uh, Dakota Lithium. They power everything for me. So um, awesome, great guys. So check them out. And then on my socials uh, on Facebook, I have uh, Corey Dryer Fishing, and same thing on Instagram. Um, don't have a YouTube channel really that I'm active on. I need to change that, but, uh, but yeah, that's where you can check me out. And if you guys got any questions, anybody, um, that may be listening about kayak fishing and want to get into it, um, you know, hit me up. So I'm always open for a phone call, text, whatever message. So give me a ring. Awesome. Yeah. So take advantage, uh, of those companies, make sure you check them out. Uh, you know, they, they let Corey do what he does on the water and then obviously Hobie, uh, has been a target target of his. He's now now uh, the southeast rep for them, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll bring some footage of us trying some Hobie kayaks out. Uh, Corey Corey sounds like he's going to set that up, so that could be fun. Um, check out his socials. Make sure you follow him. He's fishing, uh, like you said, the KBF the uh, the Hobie BOS series. Are you doing the kayak fishing league this year? I know you you did last year. I didn't know if you were still so going KFL, to. KFL uh, has somewhat folded okay um, they have a spinoff so i will be fishing the hobie bos series a couple of the bassmaster events okay. um abf and then local cka um and cckf Perfect. um but uh i'm heading to caddo this coming weekend out in louisiana caddo and bistino awesome fishery if you guys haven't been out there um then i come home and then i head to santee and uh in between those there's an event a kbf event on gunnersville i don't know if i can swing that with work and family yet but the fishing should be hot yeah so we'll see if that happens you got but you got your sights on it big big yeah i have a lot on the schedule the next couple months so then you'll be i was gonna say you'll be at the classic as well correct yeah i'll be at the classic working uh with hobie in the dugout um 
from there in uh, Georgia. Uh, yeah. So they have a big booth that yeah. Hobie's doing a co-op with. So Yeah, so yeah. when you guys are at the Classic, swing by the dugout booth, uh, holler at Corey, yeah. let them know that you, you saw him on the show. And if you have questions or want to see anything they might have there, uh, you know, he'll be there. And I know dugout's great. We've, we've purchased some stuff from them. And, uh, when we were, yeah, do. Jamie does the custom rigging that we talked about. So the 15, $20,000 kayaks, That's full, Jamie's like the wizard at that right now. So if you guys have any questions on rigging, hit those guys up. They're great. Awesome. Well, yeah, folks, make sure you check Corey out on his socials. Uh, make sure you, uh, you know, follow us along. If you're not, uh, give us a like comment, subscribe. We've talked about it, but those, those really help us to continue to grow. Uh, to, uh, you know, help uh, bring some money to the show so that we can continue to get better with uh, camera gear and all that good stuff. Uh, we have our Friday Lives, Fishing Friday. If you haven't seen those, make sure you check those out. We've been uh, growing every week with the number yeah. of folks on there and have some really good conversations. So make sure you check that out if you're available Friday evenings. Uh, other than that, that's all I have. Trey, Ben, anything you want to add on we'll this We'll see everyone on the next show. Appreciate your time. Appreciate it, Corey. Thank you, guys. That's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, God, it's a toad, son. It's a f***ing toad, dude. Let's go. I wake up to a little bit of drool on my pillow, feel like it's going to be a bad day.